0: Well anyway, yeah, I was a pastor uh, at Word of Grace Church in Mesa for 25 years, and, and Doug was actually on our team, and we worked together for a number of years, and, and I was just here with you a month ago, so how many people have left the church since I, I was with you? <laughs> how many of you left the church? Oh, you, you wouldn't have, because you're still here, right? All right, so, can I put this up here? Because I got to be within close reach of this water. All right. What I'd like to do, uh, and, and again, for those of you who don't know me, my wife and I—just a little bit of personal stuff. My wife and I, this next month, August, we celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. And tell me, I don't look that old. Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, we have—we have three children and um, all married, and all doing well, and in some kind of Christian service, and uh, we have nine grandchildren, and um, their destiny is yet to be determined. So so anyway, uh, what, I'd, what I'd like us to do, could, could you stand with me for a moment, again? And this will be different, because I really want you to stand through the whole sermon. Um, <laughs> so, Those are good friends, and she sat down on me. Um, So, uh, I'd I'd like us to say the Lord's Prayer together. Do you all know it? Um, Everybody knows that prayer, and I'd like us just to say it together. Could we pray that prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. Would you please be seated? There's no better prayer in the world, really. It takes 20 seconds to pray it, but Jesus touches on everything worship our Father in heaven, relationship with God, holy is your name. Thy kingdom come, that's our mission. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's uh, The Hebrews had a word for that, shalom. That's what that word really means. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, this, all the stuff we need. We have daily needs. And, and then he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Um, it just hit me not too long ago that, that that little request is at the very heart of what it means to have Jesus in your life. He said when he was dying on the cross, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Uh, the way love is expressed most significantly and most deeply is when we forgive people, we let it go. Forgi- I mean, that, that's, the only, that's the only prayer in the whole Lord's Prayer that has to do with our, our character, our nature. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And then he says, lead us not into temptation, and what, deliver us from evil. Okay, so at the very close of the, of the Lord's Prayer, there's a there's a call to spiritual warfare. And that's what I wanna talk about today. We're talking about supernatural things, and. Uh, I touched on this uh, when I spoke here. I think you still in that series. I spoke here on Pentecost, the, the last or the second of the last Sunday in May, and we talked about uh, the wind of the wind of God, the the power of the Holy Spirit. And um, I want to talk about I want to talk about evil and the reality of evil, and uh, in a way that ho- hopefully it's it's very helpful. Um, and um, let me ask you this question: How many of you have thought about evil at least once in your life, or talked about it? And uh, so, where does it come from—the the, the devil, your boss, your spouse, your your teenage children, um, your mother-in-law? Okay, what's the source of evil? Uh, would you people? Uh, would you? Would you people talk to tell a tell the person next to you evil comes from you <laughs> okay <laughs> okay let's close in prayer and that's pretty much all i need to say <laughs> you know it's it's all around us it's against us but it's also in us you know i i am a pastor can i confess that there are times when I feel profound evil in me, not just the devil in me or close to me, but just like Paul said, he confessed, he said, oh wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And that wasn't the cry of someone who needs to ask Jesus into their life, that was the cry of an apostle. Uh, People who don't have Jesus in their life don't cry out that way. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? And uh, so, uh, just exploring the the origin of evil, where does it come from? And am I, it just sounds, I sound a little bit loud, okay? I don't don't know, and I haven't even cranked it up yet. So, how many of you have seen the website despair.com? You know, you're really missing something. Is that Jim? Yeah, okay. Despair.com. Now, I don't want you to look on your phones, okay? Or I'm just going to ask you to leave, all right? But you can do it after the service. Despair.com sells demotivational posters. <laughs> okay, so like their, their signature, uh, signature poster is a beautiful sunset. You know, it's got a black border, and it's the word despair. And then at the, it's a beautiful sunset. And then at the bottom it says, um, um, see if I can... T- my mind is drawing a blank here. Um, it's always darkest just before it goes pitch black. <laughs> and then there's, I can't remember the word at the top, but there's a, it's a that you've seen pictures of this, of a salmon leaping out of the water into a bear's mouth. Have you seen a photo like that? And it, and it says underneath, sometimes a journey of a thousand miles ends very badly. So I want to suggest the source of evil. Okay, where does evil come from? It comes from the government. Okay, government. If you think the problems we create are bad, just wait till you see our solutions. <laughs> and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. You would agree that there, you know, somebody in there is is. Uh, well, it's the devil in that place, is what it is. So, um, you know, I I love I love to. Have people laugh, and you know we're talking about serious things. We're talking about evil and the evil one, the devil. When Jesus teaches us to pray, "Deliver us from evil." In fact, it could be translated, "Deliver us from the evil one." Uh, he per- personifies evil, um, and uh, I want to show you. I want to show you a picture here. Um, <clears throat> this. This is a picture of the innocents, okay, and who are the innocents? They're all the babies that were killed after the wise men left Bethlehem. And the Catholics actually, they have a, a feast of the innocents. Uh, these are the children murdered by Herod, hoping to kill the child, the king of the Jews. The Catholic Church regards them as the first Christian martyrs, and their feast, Holy Innocents Day, or the Feast of the Holy Innocents is celebrated on December 28th. Now I, I just wanna say, I don't wanna ruin your next holiday season, but this is, the, this is part of the Christmas story that's never told at Christmas. You know, we hear about the wise men, oh, what's, uh, what's the song, we three kings of Orion are. we sing about it, but we don't ever talk about the consequence of this. And you know, not, not to be morbid, but this is why Jesus came, because the world is so depraved, and there is so much evil from the, from the houses of government, you know, to, the, to, to war, to, uh, to, to your family, to the place where you work, there, there's evil, and, and, and there's a power of evil that's behind that. Um, look, look, this is. Let me show you another Christmas passage that's never read at Easter. Okay, it's, it's. Um, <clears throat> well, before I read that, I want to read to you that this is the agony, the agony of the women who lost their children shortly after Christmas. In Matthew chapter two, verse twenty-eight, it says this: A voice is heard in Ramah, a prophecy, a prophecy in the Old Testament about. This dreadful moment in history—a voice is heard in Rama weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. <clears throat> to me, and sometimes I have an odd way of thinking. If you haven't figured that all figured it out already, this is the Christian narrative that reminds us why God sent his son Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God, rest ye married gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our savior was born on Christmas day to save us all from Satan's power yes. when we were gone astray. Look at this, Uh, this is another Christmas passage that's never read at Christmas. Revelation chapter 12. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman who clothed with the sun with the moon and stars under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. And then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth. So that it might devour her child the moment he was born, and she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne." Uh, There's a a dragon just waiting for the child to be born. So I've I've suggested this to people through the years. When you set up your nativity scene, you need to go get some kind of really ugly, like, spawn character, put it on top of the barn, and let that be a point of conversation for people when they come into your home. Because that's really what's happening. You say, well, this is in the Bible. It's a great red dragon. Now, and I know it sounds funny, but you know, it's it's a it, it is a true picture of the Christmas story because of the evil that's in this world. Uh, I want to look at you. I want, want you to look at another picture of I would consider the consequences of evil. I, I was just reading last night a a, a book uh, by a, photo, a World War II photographer, and uh, I want to show you a picture. Anybody? Can anybody tell me what this is a picture of? Who can tell me? That's France, that's the Normandy Cemetery, that's Omaha Beach, and that's 10,000 white crosses and a few stars of David. And you know, when I look at that, it's just a month ago, June 6th, D-Day, it happened 75 years ago, 10,000 graves, and this is not even the largest American cemetery in Europe, And uh, these are the men who died on that day, and in the months ahead, they're buried on on the hill that they took in a bloody battle. And when I see that, I I think of the same verse in Matthew, a voice is heard in the cities and towns on the farms across America, the cities, the small towns, weeping in great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children. These are young, young men. Most of them are 19, 20, 18, 22. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. You know, we forget this because we now live generations away from this. I've taken friends to Europe to see these places, and uh, one of my friends, he was in the Air Force, and he said, I will never think the same way about Memorial Day. When I now that I've been to these places to see the sacrifices that have been made, you know, understanding the origin of evil—you know, where does evil come from? It's—it's kind of—you know—it won't help a lick. It is what it is. That's one of my favorite Bible verses. Could you say that with me? It is what it is. All right. And so people are going, "Is that in the Bible?" It's in hesitations twelve four. All right, evil is real and the question is what are you gonna do about it, all right? So this is my alternate alternate title for this message. Yes, Virginia, there is a devil. I wanna read to you what Paul says here about spiritual warfare. Have you heard this verse? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, see, this is a biblical worldview. We pray the Lord's Prayer, and we just pray, don't even think about what we're praying. But when you read the Bible, there's this worldview that says that there's this dimension this spiritual dimension, this unseen dimension. Paul writes, uh, we look not to the things which can be seen because they're temporary, they're transient, they come and go, but we look instead to the things which cannot be seen because they're eternal. And this is one of the hardest things in our life to do because we're so bound by time and space, to understand that our lives on a daily basis are intersecting with the spiritual dimension. Uh, I love the way this is worded in the message, okay? So, um, let me just uh, tell you that our struggle, that passage, I mean that verse, our struggle, that word is a gladiator word. Uh, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, it's a gladiator word, okay? So, you know, today the Suns are are playing Milwaukee in the championship series, right? How many of you know that? Yeah, you don't know your Bibles, but you know that, okay? (laughs) So, so, you know, we would like them to win by 20 points, right? So we could say, the Suns killed the Bucks. One article said today, it's, uh, well, this week in the sports page, said, it says, uh, deer hunting, time to do here, deer hunting in Milwaukee, the Bucks, you get it there, the deer, you know? So, yeah, so, you know, we want, them, we want them to, you know, we want them to kill the other team. But that's just metaphor. You know, in sports, there are people who get injured. But, you know, I, I think there's maybe one guy in the history of baseball that's actually been killed by the ball hitting his head. And it's way back, like in the 19, 1920, about. And, you know, nobody gets killed. But in the, gladiator, in the gladiator games, the object of the game was to kill everybody on the other team. How many of you have seen the gladiator, the movie? It's a chick flick. And there's no points, they don't have a scoreboard, it's just how many bodies are left on the, on, the, on the stadium. And this is the term that Paul uses when he says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Okay, the people around us, I'll talk more about this in the message in just a moment, but I love the way this is translated in the message, in the message uh, Eugene Peterson's message. He says, this is no afternoon athletic contest that we can wake, walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours this is for keeps a life and death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels what is what's this what this is doing you've been t- talking about the supernatural this this is this is eye opening every, every day thank you Every day. Now if you make too much of it, you know, uh, certainly in that way the devil can get you down. But to to be, you know, be sober and vigilant, the Bible says, for your adversary, the devil, roams about like a roaring lion. All right, so, you know, we believe this is true. We pray the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. Okay, we, we believe this is true because it's in the Bible, but we don't live like it's true. You know, yeah, evil is real, but are there really angels and demons floating around us? Well, not here, not in this nice church where you can get coffee in the back, you know, and um, smell the coffee, angels, you know. Um, the problem is that for us in Western culture, this is a tough sell. Now, you think about watching you think about watching the news you know and and uh, reports on on genocide and and uh, and war and you know the, the sub- subjection of the Ouija people by the Chinese and you know and and you know you read, and never in and never in the news, on television, not even on the most conservative stations, do you hear an analysis of the spiritual elements of what's going on in the world? So you you are conditioned not to think spiritually. and I'm speaking for myself, I have two seminary degrees. I've been preaching the Word of God for fifty years. And I'm, I'm often, most of the time, I'm more influenced by what I see with my eyes, not what I believe by faith. And it's just, it is, it is a challenge for us to embrace what what is the clear biblical view. Why Jesus taught us to pray like this: uh, "Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one." So. A friend of mine, George Otis Jr., some of you maybe know that name, he's he's a Christian author and he's an old guy like me, but many years ago he wrote this, the worldview of most non-Westerners is three-tiered. On the top is the cosmic transcendental, transcendental world, in the middle are supernatural forces on the Earth, and on the bottom rests the empirical world of our senses. The unique tendency of Western society has been to ignore the reality of the middle zone. Uh, in many ways, this has been my life message. I, I've written a book. Bu- the, the book that sold best, my best-selling book, is titled Angels, Dark, and Light. I did that as actually as a doctor of ministry thesis, a, a dissertation. And then I wrote a book called uh, Winning Your Spiritual Battles, How to Put on the Full Armor of God. And you know, I've written books on this, but I find myself just sort of neglecting the reality of this reality. So, if the spiritual realm is real and evil in that realm is real, what does the Bible tell us about how to deal with it? And you know, of course, that this isn't just about evil and you, it's, about, it's also about evil in you, okay? It's not just how to resist the evil that's coming from the outside, but how to deal with the evil that's in, inside of you and your potential, and I'm gonna show you some scary Bible verses that will be very helpful, okay? so. Uh, I'm, I'm going to talk to you about five principles of spiritual warfare from Ephesians chapter 6. Now, I, I want to give you the context. This is, you know, uh, I want to give you the context that, um, of this chapter. This is probably the most significant chapter on spiritual warfare in all of the Bible and this is the chapter, we just read this famous verse, our our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But let me give you the context. In in Ephesians chapter five, Paul says things like, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands. Fathers, uh, uh, don't provoke your children to wrath. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, obey your masters. Masters, teach your slaves. Uh, treat your slaves well. And in, And then it says, finally be strong in the Lord. We're gonna see this in just a moment. So the context is marriage, family, and work. Okay? That's the context of Ephesians 5 and the first part of chapter 6. And then now, out of talking about marriage and children and the workplace, Paul gets into spiritual warfare and says, uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. He just got done talking about all the most significant flesh and blood stuff in your life, your family, your spouse, your children, your workplace. I mean, that's where the battles of life take place. And he says, we don't struggle against flesh and blood. Okay, so let's look at this passage. So he he talks about family and the workplace. And then, uh, this is my first, my first point, uh, put, number one, just really simple, put God first, okay? Would you say that with me? Put God first. Turn to the person next to you and just just kinda scowl at them and say, put God first. <laughs> Some years ago, I, I saw an article uh, in USA Today about the Father's Day, which is coming up, or no, it's you know, we already had it. I'm so old, I've lost count. So, and you know, the older you get, you know, you don't say, well, you know, I'm, you, know you don't give your age, you start saying, well, I got 10 years left. You know, things like that, you count down. <laughs> I got 10 Christmases left. Okay, so, so anyway, this article, an African-American dad was asked, uh, you know, what, what advice do you give to your children? And he, he had three things. Put God first, put God first, put God first. Okay. <laughs> How many of you know that that's not always easy to do? You know, put God first. Okay, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, after all the stuff about family in the workplace, finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So if you've got issues, finally, put God first. All right? Whatever, whatever life brings, whatever happens, even whether or not you can tell if it's the devil, you have to center your life in God because life is primarily spiritual. Godless doesn't mean just the worst a person can be. Godless in the Bible means to live your life as if there is no God and as if heaven and hell don't, don't exist. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Now, to me, this is a real simple statement. If, you know, it, it sounds really deep, but it's a simple statement. You know, how do you solve your problems? How do you deal with conflict? Okay? And the Bible says, though we live in the world, we don't deal with trouble and conflict the way the world does. It's not about ego, it's not about you getting your way, it's, you know, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus said, you know, I, you know I've come to be your servant. You know, in Ephesians chapter five, verse 21, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, This is so counterintuitive because most of the time, my life is about me and I, you know, I don't, I don't care about what, what you, who you are or what you feel, um, uh, you, I just care about me. And I, I know I'm right. I might not be right all the time, but I'm more right than you are. You know, I mean, we live in, we live in this, okay? Just drive on the freeway, that, that's where you'll really find out whether or not people are Christians. So Paul says, uh, "Paul says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to bring down strongholds. So for, exa- for example, forgiveness is a weapon. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin against us. So we're not just talking about a nice psychological thing to do. Forgiveness is what happens in your heart. You need to let it go. But it releases the power of God because that's what Jesus did. You know, just read the description of Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate. He said, I could call 10,000 angels. I could wipe you out. But he doesn't. Have this mind which was also in Christ Jesus who not hanging on to the fact that he was God. It, it's just—it's so counterintuitive. You just read the Beatitudes and tell me if that's those describe the people in your family in your life. It's, it's counterintuitive, and it's not just good stuff to do. I can't emphasize this enough. It, it these are. These are the weapons of our warfare. And what's ironic is that it's using warfare as as an image here, but it's really about spiritual warfare and and, and how as we follow Christ, as we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, it releases the presence and power of God to deal with the situation. On On the contrary, they have... These weapons that we have, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, the weapons that we have have divine power to demolish strongholds. And some of those strongholds are in in you and me. So number two, the first thing is put God first. Secondly, recognize the reality and the power of the spiritual dimension. So Ephesians 6.11, it says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. C.S. Lewis wrote a best-selling book called Screwtape Letters, and it's kind of about, it's an analysis on how the devil thinks and how we think and how easily we fall subject to his control in our lives, how easily we, we give in to evil. And he's got schemes. I mean, it's really that book is about the devil's schemes. And but our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against. I'm, I'm sorry. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Uh, the word schemes in, in the Greek it's a word. Uh, it's the word methodia, which means the most wicked, and subtle, and intelligent kinds of plans that evil has against you and your family. Now, you know I've already said this, but I, I, wanna, I wanna say this again. The context, number three here, um, you don't really have people problems. This is the, the third principle. You don't really have people problems. Um, for our struggle, let's read this together. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Things, so, unseen. things unseen. So the context is husbands and wives, uh, you know, and, and uh, parents and children, slaves and masters, which I, I take to be a reference to employees and employers. Now, here, here, let me just give you, this to me is one of the most significant scriptures about the whole issue of spiritual warfare, which is also in Ephesians, all right? The same book that we're looking at. Look at Ephesians chapter four, verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Have you heard this before? In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and say it with me, and what? Do not give the devil a foothold. Have you ever, in your, in your family or at work, you've said to somebody, when I'm with my family, it feels like hell. <laughs> it's not funny, is it? You know, maybe it really is hell. You know, I like to say this, you don't have to, you don't have to wait till you die to go to hell. You can go right to hell in the moment when you deal with your problems the way the world does. And you don't put God first. You just just welcome hell into your life. That's what this says, be angry. You know, anger is a natural human response. There were times when Jesus was angry, the apostle Paul was angry. You read the Psalms, the writers of the Psalms, David wrote most of them. Sometimes, it, it just seems like in every Psalm, somebody's angry. But then it says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't let it it simmer inside your soul. And don't give any opportunity to the devil. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us, but deliver us from the evil one. In the message, this is a great translation again, in the message, go ahead and be angry. (laughs) That's. That's really great. You know, it's like the Bible gives you permission to be angry. Be angry, but don't sin, right? Go ahead and be angry. You would do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as, as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. How many of you have had a family argument on the way to church at least one time in your life? And you put it on pause and you pick it up on the way home. What were we fighting about? We can't remember, but let's just go ahead and fight. We'll figure out something. (laughs) You know I Can you believe that pastors, no, I don't have any exact example of this, but I know, Doug, and Heidi have argued on the way to church. Do you know why I know that? Because I've argued with my wife. We finally decided to take two cars to church, so at least before church, we weren't fighting. (laughs) But, you know, I come to church, and son of a gun, you know, I just don't have any anger problem. I just, you know, what I'm doing is really using the weapons of my warfare. You know, I'm suppressing the evil in me by preaching God's word. Uh, yes, as Paul says, the mystery of, of preaching So, you know, it, does it feel like hell? Yeah, feels like hell Because you're giving an opportunity to the devil All right, number four Never get discouraged and never give up the fight Never get discouraged and never give up the fight Say that with me Never get discouraged and never give up the fight. Now, the fight doesn't mean you're going to fight and you're going to stand for what you really believe and you know it's true. And, you know, you, you, the other person is the problem and you're going to somehow suppress them or whatever. You know, forgiveness is so powerful. It's not just, it, it's not just about what, what happens to the other person. You can forgive some, somebody and they don't even respond. It's what happens in you. And there are people in this room right now you have somebody living in your heart, whose body is in the grave, but the things that they've done to you in the past, or you don't even know where they are. The things they've done to you in the past—they're alive in your soul. That person is living in your heart, right next to Jesus. See? This is why, forgive us our debts, as we forgive those who've. You know, if if you can't forgive, you know God will forgive you. I mean, that's a fact. But it's really hard to receive his forgiveness and the spiritual power that comes with that. And I I can, you know, this is another whole message, but the Greek word for forgiveness, where Jesus says, in in the Bible it says, uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The Greek word for forgiveness—I hate the English word because nobody knows what it means. What does it mean to forgive? I don't know what it means to forgive, but in the Greek, it's really simple. The Greek word aphiemi, (I forgive) just simply means "I let it go." That's what it means. I let it go. It was—it was a word that was used uh, uh, about archery. You know, you—you uh, you, you know, you're pulling back on the, on on the string on the taut. Bowstring and, man, you know, if you're doing this, okay, and somebody's standing next to you, what would they say to you? Let it, let it go. That's what the word means in the Greek. There's nothing complex, and sometimes, you know, you got lots of arrows. As soon as you let it go, you put another arrow in there, and you're doing this again. Let it go, just let it go. And there's spiritual power in letting it go. All right, so uh, I I love this, um, J.B. Phillips, um, will never get discouraged, never give up. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand and then the next verse says, stand therefore. It uses the word stand three times in like two sentences. And that, that's, you never give up, and that, again, that's a military term, you know, the ancient, you know, the guys uh, in, in uh, ancient Greece and, and the Romans, you know, they, they, would, they would use their shield to protect the guy on their left. So here's the guy on my left, and I hold the shield to protect my brother, and I hold my sword or my spear in my right hand. And if you don't stand, the whole army around you can be destroyed. So standing is not just about you surviving, it's about the impact that your standing will have in the lives of other people around you. So, uh, I love this, this is from J.B. Phillips. When you've fought to a standstill, you may still stand your ground. And this is, this is, this is my translation. When everything is at a standstill, stand still. <laughs> never give in, never give up. Jesus says the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, number five, pray then. Pray, then pray more, and then keep praying. Oh, yeah. That's how you put God first, see? So pray, and then pray some more. Keep praying, and, and uh, you know, like Paul said, three times I prayed for this thing to be removed from my life, and God said, what did God say? My grace is sufficient for you. I'm gonna sustain you. All right, so, uh, I, I call this, actually, I, I've got a, a message I do called Annoying Prayer. It's, uh, it's based on the parable of the guy who, he's got guests that show up in the middle of the night and he doesn't have any food, so he goes on, knocks at his neighbor's door, Said, I've got, got, got some friends that just dropped in, I know it's the middle of the night, but they're hungry, and I don't, I'm out of food, how about you, do you have some food? I, you know, what, would you, what, what do you do if you're the neighbor it says, you shout from the bedroom, I'm in bed, my children are asleep next to me. You know that, that tells, if you've raised children or if you're raising children, the worst thing is when the children are awakened. <laughs> and remember, the whole family slept together in one room and the guy is pounding on the door and it says the guy keeps pounding on the door. And it's not about God's unwillingness. It, Jesus then says, "Seek and you will find. Uh, uh, knock and the door will be open." And in the Greek, there it's all what's called a linear tense. You keep doing it. You keep doing it. You keep praying. And I got this story. A guy in my church. Uh, his name. Uh, he, his name is Rufino, and um, he he was. There was was an article in the Arizona Republic about him years ago. Uh, He started a prayer meeting. He's a public school teacher and he started a prayer meeting for people in his school that he worked with to pray together. You know, you you can't do that in the classroom, but he gathered teachers together to pray. Put God first, right? This is what you're doing. This is how you do it. You pray. And um, one day, I came into the office and you know, I had a lot of people. We, we had a huge staff. Okay, um, just to put it in perspective, okay, we had 75 full-time people on our church staff. Yeah, and we needed a lot of money in the collection to pay all those people. So, so anyway, we had we had this wall in the hallway. We had mailboxes all, and 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 somebody had put like a a pink paper in every single staff person's mailbox. And it was Rufino, and it was a request for prayer for his brother, who was on drugs and needed to get saved. And I sort of reacted, because that's what I call annoying prayer. You know, I kind of reacted. I said, you know, we had several thousand people in the church. Imagine if they just stood in line and put prayer requests in every staff person's box. And I said, we can. You know, how did he get in here? How did he do that? You know, and so I, I kind of made a. You know, I just said. You know, just don't let this happen. Just a few days, about a week later, there were blue sheets of paper in all the boxes. And it was Rufino again who's saying, Thank you for your prayers. My brother gave his life to Jesus. See, you, you just have to keep praying. It's just a beautiful story about the power of persistent prayer. And with that, I'm done. And if you really like it, you, come back, you can come back to the next service and hear me a second time. So would you please stand, all right? I don't have a clock. I forgot to bring my, what what time is it? Don't have a clock. Look in the back. Can you see a clock? I can't see a clock. Okay, this must be the devil. Yeah, you can blame him for things. You can blame him for your own stupidity. Don't ever blame the devil for your own, for his, you know, for your stupidity, his stupidity, or you know, whatever. I, I need to close in prayer. When does the next service begin? Like in 10:30. Oh, go ahead and have a seat. I have a few more things I want. I want to go over. So, all right. All right. Can you lift your hands to the Lord and, and just say this after me, Heavenly Father. Our Father, let's say that together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, say it with me. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And now just say this after me. Father in heaven, forgive me for not putting you first in all the big and little things in my life, for not using this incredible power that you've promised to me when I submit to you and trust you, Jesus, fill me with your spirit. I want to put you first in everything. And everybody said, Amen. Thanks, Gary. That was a great message. I Again, just killed it. And that's pretty much it. So let's ask God to.